God of greatness, God in whom there is so much to be thankful for, so much beauty, so many extraordinary things, so much love, so much new creation, so much that you do anew for us every morning and every evening in our hearts and our souls, in our world, in the ground, in the cold and in the heat, in the stars and the moon and the sun. God, we are thankful for who you are and for who you have made us to be. We would ask you, God, in that grace, in that cosmos, in that whole big world of yours, that you would help us today, in this moment, in who we are, in who you made us to be, that you would help us have every word of our mouths, every song of our heart, every move of our body, be something that is in accord with that love, with who you are. And if it shouldn't be, if we should mess up or hurt each other, that you would help to remind us that you are endless second chances and we can become one with you again in the next hour and tomorrow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love thank yous. <laughs> um, some of you may have noticed if you've ever asked me to pray for you, and if you haven't, I would love to. I love praying for people. I love praying with people. I pray with people on the phone. I pray with people in hospital rooms. I pray with people in weird, dark corners because we ran into each other and didn't know that there was a prayer need. Um, almost always, the way that I start my prayers is by thanking God for making the person in front of me. By thanking God for making the person in front of me. Um, whether I know them a little or know them a lot, I've yet to meet a person for whom there is not so many miracles to be thankful for. For the gifts and the graces that God put in each one of you. For the strength that God put in every person to just have made it to whatever moment we happen to meet each other in. The fact that they're there. And as one of my, my teachers once said, even separate, right, from personality or gifting or voice or specificity, when I look at a person, <laughs> I see a miracle of blood and bone and skin and breath that I can never fully get my head around. The fact that we live at all, the fact that we exist, the fact that we continue to be sustained by breath that we can't control and air that we didn't create is miraculous and extraordinary. You are extraordinary and everyone you have ever met is extraordinary and the number of things to be thankful to God for is countless, beyond countless. The kind of infinity that becomes so large, infinity is too small of a word for it. There is so much to be thankful for. So let's think about thankfulness and where we find it and where we don't and how we make it and how we get it and what it means in the times when it's easy to be thankful and what it means in the times when it's not so easy to be thankful. And it may seem counterintuitive uh, or it's simply you know, just my thing that I'm really interested in. But I want to start with uh, different biblical translations. Uh, so this may not be your cup of tea, your area of interest, but um, we've been doing this class called Reclaiming the Bible this month, an evening class, on making the Bible a part of your spiritual life rather than just this sort of intellectual exercise. Where does it come in? 
And one of the things I realized was that not everybody knows all of these different translations of the Bible. So just so you know, little facts for you, each Sunday, the one that we usually read here at Urban Village is the New Revised Standard Version, the NRSV. And the reason that we read it is that that is one of the newest, and it's probably the closest to the original language. Um, of all the translations, it is word for word the closest to the original Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. They really like, they brought the language scholars, right? Like that was their gifting in this particular translation. They brought the people who uh, have spent so much time in Greek texts, they have forgotten English. <laughs> and so it is the text that is closest to the original language. And so we use it for that reason. Um, and often NRSV will use gender neutral language in places where we want it to, it doesn't always. Um, and so we like it, and so we use it most of the time. But the thing about translation is that it always misses something, and so sometimes we'll use other ones. The one that Camille read from today, the NIV, the New International Version, is one that um, I often will give to people who are reading the Bible for the first time because there's an attempt to make the language plain so that people who English is their second language, right, but the one in which they're going to read the Bible most easily, the NIV makes the language plain. It makes it easier to read. Some of you may have grown up on the message, um, which makes the, the language very plain and also very contemporary, right? It's making a deliberate effort to bring into our lives. What is this psalm saying? What is it doing? What is this poem? What is this song to us? And then there's one that probably a lot of other folks grew up in. We may, be, we may in fact be divided among those who went to church growing up. I did not, so I grew up on nothing. I grew up on, you know, C.S. Lewis. Um, <laughs> we may be divided into message folks and King James folks. Anybody grow up reading the King James? Yes, okay. So King James. <clears throat> King James is very, very popular because it is very, very old. It was the first. It was one of the first popular translations that was meant for the people and not for scholars. Um, and King James, uh, because it is older, right, old ways of doing your laundry are less precise, perhaps, than new ways of doing your laundry. <laughs> the, the, language, the language is not so precise to the original as some of the modern translations. But, man, are parts of it pretty. <laughs> so there are parts of the King James that you might want to leave behind in your faith life but there are parts that you might want to continue to bring with you. Because King James, in part because it's the one that people used in literature, it's the one that people used in art, it's the one that you heard quoted growing up, there's an emotional resonance. Um, and because of the, like, for lack of a better term, the old timiness of the language, right? It gives you a certain feeling when you hear it. And particularly with Psalm 138 for us today, I think there's a benefit to reading a few verses of the King James, um, particularly these which are verses two, uh, verse two and three. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness, which is one of the translations of the word hesed, which has no real English equivalent, but it just means like the whole shebang, the whole thing, loving kindness, all of it, the best stuff, the best stuff in the world, that's hesed, for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name in the day when I cried out. And this, the verb, again, it's, um, it sounds to us as English speakers like there was this one day. On this one day when things really sucked, I asked for you to help. But what it means is every time, whenever, whenever I cried out, every time I asked for you, every time I needed you, every time it felt desperate, in the day when I cried out, you answered me and made me bold with strength in my soul. I praise, 
I praise you, God. I praise the works of your name. I praise your hands. I praise your temples. I praise you, God, because you show up for me, and that makes me bold in the strength of my soul. What does it mean to be bold? <laughs> all month we're in boldness, which is one of our three core values, so we talk about it all the time at UVC. We talk about what it means to be boldly rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be bold in who we are, to be bold in the world. Um, but it's, that's not actually an easy thing to do. <laughs> it's not a simple thing to do to be bold. There's a lot that keeps us back. There's um, our own anxiety or humility. There's the constraints of a world that tells us to be, uh, to like make it work. There's our own like busyness and burdensome that makes it hard to even imagine what it might look like to be bold because I have to go grocery shopping and also do this other thing and also get the homework done and also complete this. It's not easy to be bold, but, but one of the ways that the psalmist finds boldness <laughs> is in thankfulness for how much he has received, that it makes him bold to remember. It makes him bold to remember the times that God has been there. It makes his soul strong to remember all of the reasons that there are to be thankful. Gratitude we often think of as something that we do for other people, something that we give to them in exchange for something that they have done for us, that gratitude is something owed for something offered. But in this case, gratitude is an upwelling from somewhere else, from a place of attention and appreciation and conviction about what the nature of the world is, about what the nature of God is. And the thankfulness is a response to things that have happened, but it's not a quid pro quo. <laughs> it's that given that this is the nature of the world, that things as extraordinary as my being saved can happen, I am so full of thankfulness. I am a cup overflowing with gratitude that it makes me bold in my soul, bold in all that I do and all that I am. It makes me enter the world with gladness and thanksgiving and praise. Um, the psalmist told us, so we should believe it anyway, right? God told us. But science, like, really, really backs this up. <laughs> um, I was looking today, uh, this last couple of weeks, at a number of studies about gratitude and about thankfulness, and it's amazing the number of different ways in which you can practice gratitude and still have it have a profound impact, not only on your life and on your psychological and emotional state, but on literally how your brain works. <laughs> So here are some of the myriad of ways scientists have attempted to study how gratitude shapes us, informs us, changes us. You can have a gratitude practice where you name three things you're thankful for every day in the morning, or you can have a gratitude practice that is writing a letter about all the things you're thankful for once a week. You can have a gratitude practice that is sharing with an individual or a person what you're thankful for, or a gratitude practice that is totally personal, only for you, that you never share with anybody. You can have a gratitude practice that is oral and verbal, where you announce what you are thankful for, or one that is written, or one that is drawn, one that is visual. They've done art thankfulness projects. You can have a gratitude practice that is about identifying things that have happened to you, or you can have a gratitude practice that is about identifying things in the world that you are thankful for. And all of these versions, every variation, every one, has at some point been shown to increase if you keep at it for months, that is the one thing that you do have to do. Can't, can't be one-time gratitude. Can't be a one-time list. Can't be a one-time journal. Can't be a one-time speaking aloud. If you do a regular practice of gratitude over a number of months, 
you are happier, you are physically healthier, you are emotionally healthier, and your whole attitude towards the world changes, right? Um, the things that are hard and the things that are negative, you don't forget about them. It's not that they're not real to you. It's that they do not seem as large. They do not seem as big. They do not seem as overwhelmingly true as the things for which you are thankful, as the things for which you are thankful. Um, and the brain scans, I think, are super interesting <laughs> because the one study I found that did MRIs of people, um, you know, a control group who was sort of given something to write about that wasn't thankfulness, some, you know, like write about a childhood memory each day, write about a something each day, versus people who specifically wrote about thankfulness, was that what it increases is the part of your brain that does attention and that does decision making. That part of what gratitude and thankfulness do for us is that they change our attentiveness to the world. I think they allow us to sustain our attention better. That's something I've experienced when I have a thankfulness practice. I don't always because discipline is hard for me as it is hard for many of us. Um, attentiveness, it changes what we pay attention to and what we see. But then it also changes um, what we do, how we make decisions, how we think about those decisions, how we think about the weight of those decisions. When thankfulness becomes a regular part of our practice and a regular part of what we notice about the world. Some of you may have heard this story from me before because I find it so fascinating. I like talk about it all the time at parties and coffees and whatever. Um, but I heard a radio story several years ago about um, a man who, uh, in his adult life, so maybe his late 20s, early 30s, all of a sudden was struck by um, a disease or an illness where his body completely stopped producing testosterone. All testosterone was gone. Um, and people think of testosterone as the male hormone, and definitely men have more, but it's a hormone that actually all of us have, and without it, it's quite hard to live in the world. Because <laughs> testosterone is what gives you will and desire. It's what sort of makes you think, I want to get up today and do something. <laughs> I want to eat a pancake. I want to get a paycheck. I want to move. <laughs> and so he described verbally this experience of not having any of that anymore, of sort of having no motivation, didn't care about consequences. Like, it sounded to me like depression, except that he wasn't sad, right? Except that it wasn't debilitating. He just sort of like didn't feel anything, didn't want anything, um, unless people told him to get up and do things. And one of the most interesting things about his experience to me was that he said until he was cured, which he was, he's okay, right? So we can talk about this as a fascination because he's all right now. Um, he was walking out in the world and he said that his experience of the world was that everything he saw, everything, a tree, a stone, a person, a cigarette butt, the first thought that came to his mind was, that's beautiful, that's beautiful, that's beautiful, that's beautiful, that's beautiful. That it seemed to him all of a sudden to be clear that the true nature of the universe was a bunch of beautiful things. And I wouldn't wish the way that he experienced that upon any of us because it was, from his communication, a sort of dispassionate assessment. It wasn't that he was moved by the beauty, right? He was just like, beautiful, 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 beautiful. Check, 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 check. <laughs> but I do think it's interesting that if we take away all of our um, nervous drive, <laughs> what's left is beautiful, <laughs> wonderful, right? That, like, that would be our sort of base assessment of the world if it wasn't interrupted all the time by all the things that we want and are scared that we won't get. And I think thankfulness, thankfulness in my experience, is the thing that can give you the good version of that lens on the world. The passionate, engaged, loving version of that lens on the world. 
where it's not this sort of, you know, I am the clinical doctor of beautifulness and everything is beautiful, but where if you start to be thankful for everything, if you say, I am so thankful that that tree grew, I am so thankful that that stone is there holding that building up, what if that building fell down? I am so thankful that the gray clouds, though they provide rain, might fill the dirt with water and make the things grow. I am so thankful for that person over there and their lovely green bag that gives me a note of joy today with its pop of color, right? I am so thankful. I think it gives you a new set of glasses for the world, which is look at all the things that are beautiful. Look at all the things that are amazing. Look at all the things that are extraordinary. Look at all the things that are great in a way that moves you and makes you want more and makes you want to be more and be a part of it and be so, so moved by all of what is happening. And so, so engaged in the fact that as hard as it gets, this is not to say, I am not a positive thinking guru, okay? And I mistrust a lot of that. I heard about this week the worst thing I've ever heard of in my life, which is a mirror, a mirror specifically designed for cancer patients where you are only allowed to see your reflection. It will only show up if you smile. So if you look at it frowning, it won't show you your face. Right, so it's supposed to train you to be positive, but actually, uh, I think that's just burdening people with only getting to feel half of the feelings that we ever feel. Right, like feel your other feelings. There are also psalms of lament. There are also psalms of anger. We're not saying cut off all of the other things. But if you promote the thankfulness thing, if you promote the gratitude thing, you start to see stuff in the world that you would never see. And all of that hard stuff, that lament stuff, and that anger stuff remains true, remains real, remains an important part of your human experience but it no longer seems like the only part of your human experience. It no longer seems like the dictating part of your human experience that will be in charge of you and in charge of your world forever. <laughs> Instead, it feels like, okay, there's rough stuff here, right? Like there's trouble, there, the waters are troubled, my life is troubled sometimes, and the basic nature of this thing I am doing called life is good and a gift. The basic nature of this universe that we are taking part in together, this cosmos that God created when God looked at the chaos and said, I will bring some order to this. I will wash my hands over the water. I, my spirit, my ruach, my breath will form this shape. That there, the nature of the universe is fundamentally good and something to be grateful for. And all of the mars and breaks away from that are painful and important to pay attention to, but they're not the root of the thing. They're not the root of us, they're not the root of our experience, and they're not the root of what we're gonna be together one day when this whole place gets healed and put back together. The thankfulness is real. Yeah, right, we can snap for that. Um, and the science, right, the science would be enough if this was life hack school. <laughs> you know, if this was life hack school, there's enough science, go do your gratitude practice, go home, do a gratitude practice, be done. Um, but this isn't life hack school, this is like, you know, Jesus school and also time to praise and sing and also time to mess up together, it's church. Uh, that, 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 that original word was just too long, that's why we shortened it, called it church. Um, and so the thing about gratitude is that it shows us, it shows us the nature of who God is. It shows us the nature of who God is and who God is going to be to us. And there are ways in which our culture has learned to practice thankfulness that I think we can learn from. So Thanksgiving is coming up. Would I have chosen to have Thanksgiving on the day that it is, for the purported history that we purport to have it for, with that whole attendance story? 
No. <laughs> solid, solid no. Solid no on that one. But is it a great idea to have a day every year when we sit down together and say, what are we thankful for? That is a great freaking idea. <laughs> that is a really, really great idea. And it's one that we should embrace. And almost every culture, and it's all around the harvest, right? It's when the food shows up, which I think is amazing because um, think about when, like, so my family was pretty recently pretty agricultural. Like the farmers in my family are just a couple generations away, but still it feels so far away from my lived experience every day where um, I go to the grocery store any day of any year and all of the things are there. Imagine the experience of really not knowing, really not knowing whether it was gonna show up, really not knowing whether your family was gonna eat for another year until either the thing bloomed or it didn't, until it grew tall enough or it didn't. <laughs> until if your crops had failed, your neighbor shared with you, or they didn't, until the cornucopia was full or it was not. That each year, people learned a kind of trust in uncertainty, a kind of, okay, what happens, what will be, will be, <laughs> and what comes out in October is what we've got for the winter. What's in the stores, what's in the grain, what's in the cellar, that's what we've got and we all make do, and whatever showed up, Chungsuk in Korea, um, uh, there's a thing, the Sukkot, which just passed in the Jewish tradition, right, is, is also a sort of harvest festival. You may have seen people's uh, makeshift houses outside their home. Um, that every fall we say, thank God. Thank God for whatever showed up this year. Thank God for whatever showed up in my hands. Thank God for whatever showed up in my bags. Thank God for whatever showed up in my heart and my mind. As much as I thought I would lose, thank God for whatever showed up. That's a good practice. That's a smart practice. And I was thinking about the one other time that I see thankfulness. My husband um, uh, is a very ritualized person. He loves like habits and discipline in a way that I do not. I'm sort of like, whatever, like let, this, let us be guided by the Holy Spirit. And that's sort of an excuse for me to be like an unritualized and undisciplined person. So I learn a lot from him. But one of his rituals that I think is the funniest is that he has, um, a, at certain times of year, a TV show or a movie or a short story that he reads every year to kind of put him in the frame of mind for that time. So in the middle of winter, he always watches the documentary Happy People, which is about uh, living in Siberia in the middle of winter. So it's like super on theme. <laughs> um, uh, a few days before Christmas, we always read Truman Capote's A Christmas Story out loud to one another. When the time changes in the fall and in the spring, we watch the episode of Pete and Pete, where little Pete gets to be in two days at once. <laughs> These are the things that he likes to do, right? He has a, a thing for each year, a thing for each time. You can ask him for the whole list. Yes, he's great. Um, but we added a new one this year, which is, uh, I don't know if any of y'all watch Master of None. Yes? So Master of None this year had a Thanksgiving episode that is just one of the best Thanksgiving episodes I've ever seen in my whole wide life. And if you haven't seen it yet, uh, as someone who lives in Chicago, you want to support your homegirl like Lena Thwaite because she's from here. We have a picture of Lena. Um, so this is Lena. Yeah. So Lena is from the south side of Chicago and wrote this Thanksgiving episode. It's like the most packed 28 minutes you could ever have. Um, of all, and it's based on all of her Thanksgivings growing up. She's a lesbian. And it's every Thanksgiving with her and her best buddy and her and her mom and her aunt and her grandma. Um, and the things that they share together on those days and the intimacy of their family on those days. And then it sort of tracks as she comes out to them those first couple of Thanksgivings that are 
painful and hard and bad. <laughs> and they do not respond well, and they do not say the things that she wants to hear. Uh, and she has a couple of, you know, unideal girlfriends, <laughs> maybe, uh, who, uh, and then, in the end, there's this extraordinary sequence where not everything is fixed. Not everything is perfect, not everything is magic. But they have continued to say thank you with each other every year for decades, right? They've continued to sit down as hard as it is, as awkward as it is, as strange as it is. There is a base of love there and they continue to sit down and say thank you with each other. And over time, it accumulates. It builds up into something magical. It builds up into something wonderful. And they find something with each other, she and her mom especially, by the end. Um, a way of reckoning, a way of her mom coming to be thankful for who her daughter actually is, instead of who she had hoped for her daughter to be. That I think is the gift of who God is and where God can find us if we commit to that thankfulness over time, even when we're in moments like the psalmist had, uh, where we, what we feel like is the truth about the world is abandonment and pain. Committing to thankfulness isn't about ignoring those things, it's committing to a promise that that is not the only thing and we will continue to believe it. Whatever bad thing is happening, it's not the only thing and we will continue to believe it. And it made me realize that I think the one, the one American cultural practice of thankfulness we have besides Thanksgiving is awards shows, right? So, so the reason that this picture is, Lena won, won an Emmy for writing that, that, uh, that episode. And as much as I would commend the episode to you, I would also recommend her speech. Um, in which she starts by thanking God, then thanks her mama, then thanks Aziz, then thanks Netflix, then thanks every company in the world, and she ends with thanking the LGBTQIA community because those are the people, she says, who made her a person of strength and gratitude, who made her a person who could write an episode about gratitude. And I realized that like, award shows don't have to be what they are. It could be that our cultural pattern would be for each person to get up and be like, yes, you recognized my amazingness. Listen to more examples of my amazingness. <laughs> or it could be that our cultural pattern was that people get up on the Oscars and they're like, uh, here's two other movies you should see that I am in because now you have recognized that I am awesome at my job. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's not actually a given that what everyone does, everyone of every religion and every culture and every ego and every artistic endeavor, what everyone does, I would be shocked if you can find examples of people not doing this, is they get up when they have received an award for something that they did and they immediately start to thank everybody else in the world. There's something automatic about it. <laughs> There's something human nature about it, that when something great happens to us, our first thought is all the people who made it this way. Because the truth is that it's never just us. It's not that they're faking it, the, just the truth of the world is. Anytime something good happens, it's never about just one person. It's about the magnificence of who they are, the magnificence of who God made them to be, and it's about all of the other stuff that made them alive, that made them possible, that made you alive, that made you possible, that made the circumstances of your life what they are. And so Thanksgiving is coming up, and awards shows are coming up, but also your daily life is coming up. <laughs> your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday are coming up, and they could really use a gratefulness practice in you. You could really use some way to enter into the gratitude that God has given us as a gift and the psalmist has commended to us as a way of life.
gratitude is good for us because it is the most honest reflection of what this world is and who God is, which is great and amazing. And you and me and everyone good who has made us who we are. There are hard things. <laughs> there are hard people. There are people who you don't want to share your Thanksgiving with, who you wouldn't thank at your awards show, <laughs> right? But it's not the only thing. It's not the only thing that's ever happened to you. And so I hope that we together, whatever way it is, the journal, the picture, the Facebook post, the call to a friend, the accountability prayer partner, you find a way to live gratitude in your life. This week, this month, and this year. Because I promise you, it'll change things. It'll change things. And you will find God in the midst of it. So thank you. And thank God and thank the world. Amen? Thank you. Amen. Amen.